And I, I really want to give this message. It's a good message. It has witty humor. And uh, it would make me look good. But, uh, but I just, I can't, I can't get a grip on, uh, on exactly what the Lord wants. So Holy Spirit, come. <laughs> on me especially, please. Amen. And uh, but here's the thing. I've got, um, I've got this testimony that I really want to share. And I've got this message that I really want to give. Um, and I think, I don't think there's enough time for both. And I think that God is wanting the, um, I think he's wanting the testimony, okay? Uh, and it's long, okay? It's, uh, it's long. And it's still going. I mean, when I end, it's not even over. So it's going to be like this testimony that has no climax to it, you know? We're going to hit the end. I'm going to be, so that's where we are right now. And you're, oh, great. Okay, woohoo. Glad I spent an hour for that. Uh, but I'm going to throw some scripture in to make it spiritual and, uh, and see what the Lord does with it. But, uh, but somehow I think he's going to bring this together. I want to look in um, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26. I want to encourage you. Uh, I was talking with Pastor Ant before the service, and we were talking about uh, failure and people dealing with failure. And, you know, I used to have a really tremendous spirit of failure over my life. I, uh, I was the kind of guy who, if things were going good, I was so sure something was going to go wrong that I would be the one to reach out and press the self-destruct button just to make sure it went better. At least then I could control when everything fell apart, you know. But uh, the, the thing that finally hit me one day is I kept saying, Lord, deliver me from the spirit of failure. And I'd go for prayer and well-meaning ministers would lay hands on me. People would pray for me and they would break the spirit of failure off of me and break the mentality of failure off of me. But what really happened was one day the Lord came and he just kind of said, hey, son, you're a failure. Uh, you know, and at first I kind of thought, I rebuke you, Satan. How dare you accuse this messed up son of God of being. But I realized, you know, if we were just a little bit off track, and just needed a little nudge to get there, or some good advice, or some counseling, then God didn't have to give His Son. Jesus didn't have to leave glory and come down here and live like you and me, a sinless life, and pay the price for the sin that separated us from God. And not just pay the price in this general sense, but we're talking about from the very beginning, being misunderstood by His own family. You know, His own family trying to interrupt His preaching because they thought that He was losing His mind. And He has to look out and say, who's my family? You know, and really make it clear. I mean, even when they rebuked him because he wasn't with them when he was 12 years old, he's like, what's wrong with you? Didn't you know I'd be about my father's business? I mean, he's kind of looking at that. Mom, Dad, get a clue. You just don't know what's going on here. So from the time he was young, he's suffering from misunderstanding and he's suffering from rejection. In fact, uh, um, Isaiah, he was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. You know, there wasn't, it, he didn't have this appearance that we would look at him. And, and we, <laughs> Eric was talking before the service and we're saying it doesn't mean he was ugly. But it just means that Jesus was a pretty average guy. You know, there wasn't something physical about him that was going to draw people. And so he had to live rejected by his own creation, you know. Bad enough that he's rejected by his own creation. But the very people that he came to save, the lost house of Israel, they didn't just reject him. They're the ones who took him before the governing authorities and said, we want this man crucified. And so then they take him and they whip him. Imagine this. Imagine being whipped with something with either the steel or bone chips in it. To the point that, you know, did you watch the passion of the Christ? You know, it was bad enough when they got done whipping his back. But as soon as that Roman guard went like this, I'm like, I, I can't look at this anymore. Yeah. 
And Mel Gibson said that they didn't even go to the degree that really happened to Jesus because in the, you could not have handled looking at it. It was so severe. And that's what he did for our healing. And then he goes to the cross, you know, and whether it's hands or wrists and feet, you know, these spikes are going through. He's hanging there suffocating with blood pouring out, trying to lift himself up to survive, finally gives his life up for us. And I'm thinking that was not for a bunch of people who were just a little off. That was for, for miserable, hopeless failures who were utterly lost and depraved and without hope, who the, in every intention of their heart was evil. I'm trying to encourage you tonight. You're a failure. <laughs> you are a failure. But now, because of the overcoming one who dwells in you, if you will lay down that failure of a life, and stop trying to control everything and live for yourself and dictate the ways and, and ser you know, serve your own agenda and just say, enough of this, I need the life of the overcomer living through me, Amen. then the fact that you're a failure doesn't matter anymore. Amen. When the devil comes and says you're a failure, you don't have to go into denial. No, in Jesus' name, I'm, yes, in Jesus' name, you're a failure. It's his life in you. It's His life in you that brings victory. It's His life in you that brings the overcoming. It's His life in you that gives you any life worth living at all. You're a failure and deal with it. Yeah, that's an encouraging message. Once again, hey, good video. See, you can take that out of context and put it on YouTube and really make me look bad, but it doesn't matter. My reputation's already been destroyed, so I really don't care what you do with it. Uh, 1 Corinthians 1, 26 through 31 is what I wanted to get to based on this failure thing. For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise, and God's chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty, and the base things of the world, and the things which are despised, God has chosen, and the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are, that no flesh should glory in His presence. Amen. But of Him you are in Christ Jesus who became for us. Do you see this? He became something for us because we are not it. We don't have it. We cannot possess it. We cannot walk in it. He had to become it for us. He just told us what we were. The low, the based, the despised, the unwise, the rejected. But then he goes on to say, Of him you are in Christ Jesus who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption that as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. Amen. That is such good news. That is such good news. We've been lied to for so long because we have such a humanistic, self-centered, man-centered gospel. And God help me, I'm, I'm, I'm not even on one of the five ideas I thought I would be talking about, and this is nowhere near the testimony. And I'm not here rebuking you, I don't think. You know, you guys, I mean, I, I come in and I feel a lot of life here. You know, I have no idea what all you're going through or how difficult things... You know, sometimes someone comes in from the outside and, and they can see so much more clearly than you can. You can be under all the pressure. You can be facing all the resistance. You can be in the midst of the greatest spiritual warfare. But it's those hearts for God reaching out to Him, worshiping Him that allows an, an outsider comes in and it's just like, oh, this is so fresh. Thank you, God. Thank you I'm not in Cluj, Romania. I'm here in Houston where they have it so easy and I can feel how easy it is because it's so wonderful in your presence. But it's really just God's presence. Okay? Am I boring you yet? All right, let's go. Um, but the point I'm trying to make is look what He chooses. Look what He chooses. And let it, really let it settle in. 
what God chooses. You know, what, when I was first saved, I was in sales for a long time. I've been in everything from property management to commercial real estate to residential real estate to, yes, auto sales even, I did that. People didn't like me when I did it, but uh, uh, I was an unchristian car salesman. It probably wasn't the greatest thing that I ever walked in. Um, but I, I was always working with people, always dealing with people, always communicating with people. And I get saved, and when God called me to ministry, I really resisted it. But at the same time, there was this feeling of like, I could see why God would call me to preach, because I'm such a gifted communicator. <laughs> now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, because most of you would lie in the presence of the Holy Ghost, and I don't want you to drop over dead. But... Really, have you ever thought that way? You looked at some natural ability that you had, and you thought, well, I can see why God would choose. No, no, <laughs> He gave you that ability. It was the gift He gave you. You've just been misusing it your whole life until you finally come to meet Him, and then you surrender it to, like singers, I'm sorry, I don't know what you're so proud about. What did you do for that voice? The same thing I did for mine, you got born. But for some reason, when you got born, there was something different that came out of your mouth and comes out of mine, you know? <laughs> I mean, I can carry a tune. I can impersonate Elvis, but I don't need a microphone in front of the church. But it's a God-given gift. It's not something that He chose us because we possessed it. We possess it because He chose us. Amen. See? And then you look again at what He chose. I'm just telling you, if you struggle with failure, you should be feeling better already. Amen. Because you are weak, base, despised, and low. Hallelujah. Thank God that, you know, uh, thank God you're not tall and wealthy and good looking and, and you're not me, you know. <laughs> because if you were, it would be much. I'm not saying he can't choose you, but, you know, it's difficult for God to choose those people. They don't see the need. They don't see the lack. You know, they, they, they're able to exalt themselves more highly based on the world system. So Jesus comes in and he chooses these low things for his calling. I just, I'm, so I look at this and I'm like... Thank you, God, I'm qualified. Amen. And what it makes me do is instead of getting proud, like, you know, someone told me once, I said, I pray for people to get healed. And they get healed, and I am just blown away every time. Every time someone's healed, I'm just like, whoa, you know. I'm looking at these hands, and I know what they used to do. And then I'm, so it's like, well, of course these hands go in someone's ears, and now they hear. Well, that just makes all the sense in the world. No, that doesn't make any sense at all. It makes zero sense. But there's something about what God has done and what He's chosen and the calling that He's given me. So when it happens, I'm blown away. But I had an evangelist actually tell me, he rebuked me for being blown away. You should never be blown away. You should get used to it and expect it to happen. And I'm like, oh, what a pathetic, boring Christianity that is. Because first of all, it's not going to happen every time. I've prayed for people with cancer who lived, and I've prayed for people with cancer who died. But the people that lived are glad that I prayed for them. Amen. And I'm still, I'm still blown away by the fact that these hands could go on someone and that they could be healed, you know? Yeah, this is... Okay. See, I don't like... See, because all right now I'm standing here going, okay, got that part out, now what? And this happened in Oklahoma. I just preached there last week, and, the same, and I'm standing there. I was like, you know, I, I just said everything that I know so far. And... Ten years ago, I would just be terrified in front of you. I'd be like, now I'm like, I guess it doesn't matter what you think. I'm stuck, so I've got to trust the Holy Spirit. I'll just go into the testimony that I wanted to share with you, okay? Uh, for, for several reasons. First of all, I know that you're in a time of pressing right now as a church. You know, I know that there's been opposition. I know there's been attack. Uh, 
You know, some, and sometimes, I don't want to use the word success, but it looks like even the enemy's had some success in some of your lives. Um, I can't think of a better word to use because I don't want to call the devil successful. I really despise him, and as far as I'm concerned, he's not successful. He's the greatest failure of all. But, uh, but there, there's been places in lives where, where the enemy has gotten in, and it's had an effect, and, it, and it, it's been to your detriment and your families, and it, you know, then it has an overall impact in the church. And, of course, we have our faith, right? We know that all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to His purpose. And that even uh, what the enemy means for evil, God is going to turn and use for your good, right? So no matter where we are, we still have these awesome promises of how good God is and what He's going to do with the situation. Now, look, I know it stinks when you're in it. It's, you know, he didn't promise us freedom from pain. I really like in Isaiah, he says that when you pass through the, the, the fire, it will not burn you. 43. Ah, oh, it's 40-something. I'm so glad I was... Hmm. And Isaiah, uh, Isaiah, and when you go through the waters, you know, you will not be drowned. But I like it because he never said you're not going to pass through fire. You know, and so what, we freak out about the fire. Or we freak out about the water, and he's like, guys, it's not a matter of avoiding the fire and avoiding the deep waters. It's a matter of I'm going to walk through it with you, and you're, you're not going to come out burned, and you're not going to come out drowned. In fact, you're going to come out on the other side better. Amen. That's the promise of the Lord. And whether it's Houston, Texas, or Cluj, Romania, difficulties are difficulties. But count it all joy when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith, you know, and it produces... It produces. There's things that won't happen unless God tests you. There's just simply, and now I'm way off. I'm not even on the testimony now. But I think back about Joseph, you know, his own brothers sell him into slavery, and then he lives in slavery and bondage, and then through another lie, he's thrown into uh, prison, and then he's even forgotten about in prison when the guys promised, hey, if, I, if you're right and I live, I'm going to remember you before Pharaoh. And you're going to get, I'm going to help get you out of here. And then for two years, he's forgotten. But what happened when the day finally came? After everything he suffered, after everything he went through, and it was all unjust. You know, this is the thing. Some of us tonight are going through things that are our own fault. And praise God that His mercy is there and that His grace is there. But sometimes, you know, when we get bitter, when it's really hard is when we're going through things and we're like, but Lord, this is unjust. Well, welcome to the world of Christian leadership. Joseph went through many unjust things and he lived through it and he was faithful to God through it and he went 13 years suffering through it and then one day, this is the great thing with God, the, the promise I love is God can change things in a day. Now does that mean it's going to be today? No, and I wouldn't tell you that. But you do know that every day you wake up can be the day of new mercy that God uses to change your situation. And He didn't just change it for Joseph. He took Joseph from a, from a pit to uh, slavery to prison, and then He put him second in command of the greatest empire that was on the earth at the time. Now that blows me away. A guy who was in slavery, you know, once again, look who he chooses. I'm really trying to get that to the testimony. Am I speaking to anybody or am I on a rabbit trail here? I am? Oh, thank God. Okay. Because I'm looking at, you know, sometimes when you look at people, they can really be absorbing it. But in, my, in your eyes, are they absorbing that or are they just glazing over there? I'm not really sure what's happening. Well, hallelujah. Okay. Jesus left 99 for one. So even if that's what it's for, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll encourage myself in the Lord. All right. Okay. So. What I'm, what I'm trying to get to, I, I should probably go to my notes and I would feel a lot more comfortable, but uh, we are standing for something in Romania that is really impossible. And several years back, 
I was praying. I don't know how the Lord talks to you guys, but the reason that I'm so direct is because God is very direct with me. Amen. And I, I find out, though, His directness, for me, I just receive it as love. You know, I was praying one Saturday night in Dallas about eight, seven years ago, and I was praying for the message for the next day for the church where I was going to be speaking. And the Lord shows up and He says, Hey, son, you're selfish. And, of course, my first thought is I'm standing here praying for a message for people that I'm going to give your word to tomorrow. How in the world am I selfish? But the other thing I know is when God shows up and says something, it is not open for debate or argument, and He's not wrong. So I'm standing there and I'm thinking, okay, Lord, uh, I'm sure you're right, but can you tell me why I'm, I, I don't understand. How am I selfish? And all he, he comes back and he says, son, you're selfish. And then I kind of said, okay, but I got to preach in the morning. Can you help me with this word? And then can we deal with this later? I really did. And he came back and he says, son, you're selfish. And at that point, something just like broke in my heart. And I started to cry and I was like, I didn't know. I didn't, I really didn't know. I mean, once he showed me, it was so obvious. I was like, you know, a dumb mule or something. But till that point, I was a blind dumb mule. And suddenly it's like, oh, I didn't know. And you know, the Lord said this. He says, I know you didn't know. That's why I came to tell you. You know, so for me, every hurt from God is, is so healing. Amen. When he comes and convicts and confronts me about something. So that's how I am with people. I'm like, well, that's how God deals with me. So it's the only way I know how to deal with others. So I tend to be very direct. So I'm praying one day over there in Romania, and I'm praying about, you know, the vision and the future and, you know, the church and the growth and all of that. And the Lord just comes and he says, you're a hypocrite. And I said, well, okay, Lord, thank you so much for revealing this to me. Spirit of revelation, come. Thank you. Hallelujah. Why am I a hypocrite? He said, because you preach about the God of the impossible and you don't believe me for impossible things. And I said, <laughs> I'm a hypocrite. You're right. So... I prayed on that for several years. I mean, I don't, don't get the wrong idea. I wasn't agonizing for hours every day for several years. But, you know, when it would come to mind as I was praying over the years, I'd say, oh, Lord, about this thing. I, I, I want to believe you for the impossible. And what's really funny, you know, I'm seeing healings like tumors are disappearing and cancers being healed overnight, you know, and kidney stones are disappearing and an 82-year-old man with respiratory failure. You know, the minute we pray, the monitors change, and the next day he's home in the garden. And I'm like, but I don't believe you for the impossible. I'm like, hmm. So... Over the series of years, after we had our, uh, after we were blessed out of the place where we were meeting in Romania, we did a 40-day fast. I felt like the Lord called me to it. And uh, believe you me, if I did it, it's I'm not that spiritual. The Lord called me to it. In fact, the most I had ever done was 21 days with no food. And my comment was this, I'm glad Jesus did 40 days. Praise God for him. He probably needed it, but I'm never doing 40 days. I've got a real problem with telling God what I'm never going to do. And man, does he come back and make sure that I find out I was wrong. So he calls me to this 40-day fast. And my associate pastor graciously says, I'm going to do this with you. Say, yes. <laughs> So uh, actually it was the second 40-day fast that we did, and, and that was even worse because when the Lord came back and said, I want you to fast 40 days, I said, Lord, we just did this. He said, actually, that was 10 months ago. You didn't just do it. And I'm like, oh, you're right. Okay, so we did our 40 days, and it was winter time in Romania. Now, that's, that's not nice. I mean, no matter what we were doing, I would get dressed for church, but whether, every discipleship meeting, every leadership meeting, even the Wednesday night meeting at home, I was in like, uh, you know, these fleece pajamas with a robe wrapped around, because I was just freezing to death all the time. And so it finally ended, and I ate some food, and I had some energy, and I said, okay, I need to get out of here. I got to go take a walk. So I go out into the snow. I was just glad to be liberated from the house. So I go out into the snow, 
And as I'm walking through town, now, did you see, when you were there, did you see that big hotel on the hill with the cross? Yes. Okay. In the center of town, at the high point of the city, there's this, there's this huge hotel, and then there's a monument to the revolution, and it's this giant cross, and it's lit up at night, and it's up these stairs that come from the center, and it's probably about 15 stories up. And as I'm walking into town, I look up, and there's that building. Now, I want you to understand, this is a communist hotel. It was built in 1975. It is a hideous concrete bunker. It's like they took the prettiest place in all of the city and said, how can we defile it and ruin our town and make it the focal point of everything around us? And they said, I know, we'll build a communist hotel out of concrete. So I walk out. I've hated this building since I saw it. I've always despised it. I couldn't believe that it was there. And so I'm walking through town, and I look up, and I'm like, oh, there's that hideous building. And the Lord says, yeah, what can you do with a hideous building like that? And I'm looking at it, and it's massive. It's got 156 rooms and suites. It's got uh, one, two, three, four, five different meeting spaces that can hold anywhere from, you know, 50 people to probably done right 500 people. It sits on about 14 or 15 acres of land, which is unheard of in the city of Cluj. You just don't find stuff with land around it. And uh, I'm looking and I'm saying, well, Lord, you, you could do a lot of things up there. You know, I could see where we could have housing for the staff because, you know, in Romania, our salaries are not comparable to what Houston, Texas is getting. The average salary is around $600 a month, but the average rent is over $300 a month. So you can imagine what it's like to live. I mean, I have a guy on staff uh, who's my right-hand guy. He's really a Jonathan. I'm one of the most blessed pastors in the world. Him and his wife and two kids are my neighbors, and uh, I have to pay their rent too because I know that with $600 a month, there's no way he can pay his rent and support his family. And at this given moment, I haven't paid rent for August, and it's now September. You know, this is just the way we live in Romania. Uh, and I, that should encourage you because what I can tell you, I'm not saying that to complain or to try to get someone to come and you know pump some checks in my pocket. The reason I'm telling you that is this has been like this for a long time and God is faithful. Amen. You know, we're still there. We're still going. I'm not, I don't even know what financial stress is anymore. God took me from a place where I was making money, put me almost to bankruptcy, and then sent me to Romania where there's never enough, I mean, budget. Someone said, have a budget. I said, I'll lose my faith if I have a budget. Because what comes in does not go, it doesn't come near what goes out, but somehow God makes it work. He's just that good. Whether, whether our rent is $1,000 a month or $2,200 a month, depending on the different places that we've lived, God provides. He's just that good, you know? He's just that good. Amen. So I'm looking up at the hotel, and what I began to see was, I said, Lord, that's a place where we could have staff housing. We could make some apartments, have a place for the staff to live. Uh, it's really been in my heart to start a discipleship training school because I'm frankly tired of Bible schools and the way they function. They, they don't prepare for anything. I mean, I directed a Christ for the Nation school there for years. And I'm, I mean, I can count on one hand the number of people that went into ministry from that school over 10 years now, and four of them are in my church. That's, that's what I know of because the it, school just doesn't do it. You know, you've got to get involved in people's lives. You've, got, you've really got to walk with them and teach them and let them see you everything, the good, the bad, the ugly. My guys know every failure about me. They know every cross way about me. And what's so awesome is they love me in spite of it. They don't love me because of an image. Although, you know, hey, no, I'm just kidding. I'm, I'm humble, guys. I think I'm very average looking. I think I'm a good looking average guy. Uh, but they, uh, they're just like that. You know, we, we've caught heart to heart. And nothing, that's why we've been able to go through so much over there and we're, we're still standing together. 
we're standing in faith for the Lord. So I'm looking up there and thinking, I want to see a discipleship training school where we can move some people in and we can walk out life with them. Not just, I mean, we will teach theology we, and we, they will work in ministry in the church, but we, we've got to live something that equips them to walk with Jesus Christ in a way that is an example to people that they can look and say, I can follow that. Amen. So I've got, so I'm looking up there saying a discipleship training school, and I said, oh Lord, we could start a kindergarten. Now kindergarten there is different than here. It's like preschool. And it's a huge thing. It's like at two and a half years old, parents freak out. They can't deal with their kids anymore. So they put them in these kindergartens. And it's big business. And there's not enough of them. And people are always looking for a place to put their kid. I said, Lord, if we could start a kindergarten up there where we had spirit-filled people catching these kids, you know, not just babysitting them, but teaching them real principles, getting them filled with the Holy Ghost. Because Amen. I don't care. Every kid in our church that's three years old and over is filled with the Holy Spirit and speaks in tongues. Because we're going after the kids for the next generation. Because all of this hopelessness and this despair and this uh, suspicion and betrayal that's over Romania, you know, we'll work with the old people because we have to. But if we can get these kids changed, they can raise up under something different. And at least by the time I'm 60, I can look out there and go, finally, we've got something different. We don't have a bunch of complainers in the wilderness, you know. Now, everyone's not like that. I'm, I'm kind of cynical sometimes. Lord, forgive me. I don't want to make your people in Romania look bad. Uh, but, uh, but so I'm thinking we can have a kindergarten, and I'm thinking, oh, conferences, man, where we could bring people from around the country who want something different, but who are in these dead churches that won't let them have anything different. They can get a taste, and then God can send them back with some fresh anointing, you know, with some fresh freedom and liberty, and start seeing things change. So I'm looking at all of this, and I'm saying, and obviously we can have a church that can really grow, and there's plenty of land to build on, you know, if you ever get past the, the four or 500 mark. And so as I'm thinking of all of this, it suddenly hits me, why are you talking to me about that hideous building? And then I realize, God, I hate this building. What are you, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? And then I'm thinking, yeah, yeah, I know worship conferences too because, see, I've got a worship team with two worship leaders that I'm telling you, it's not for a church of 70 people. We've got a CD. You should go to our website. You may not understand the words, but there's so much anointing. I mean, Matt, I love your worship, but when I go home, I get there, and I'm like, oh, I missed it. It's just that awesome. These guys are so gifted, and yet they're so surrendered to the Lord so they don't walk with any, uh, you know, agenda or self-promotion. I just, I, anyway, I love Covenant Christian Center. That's my church. I'll just go ahead and Amen. put a plug in for that. Um, but as I'm doing this, I said, okay, Lord, what, what are we doing here? Why are you talking to me? He said, I want you to walk up there and pray. So I walked through the snow across town, up the 15 flights of stairs, and I walked around the building, and just, it's, it's like this. It's like, you have to have this building. And it's so absurd, guys. I mean, it is so absurd. So I actually walked down back across town, went and got my team, and I said, guys, I know it's cold, I know it's snowing, but will you come with me for a walk? I really need you to pray with me. We walked back, and as we're walking, I didn't tell him where we're going, but we got to the stairs, and my youth pastor, he's always so observant, he's like, where are we going? And I'm like, we're just going up the hill. He's like, are we going to the hotel? Do you want the hotel? Is that why we're here? And I'm like, yes, 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 tell me if I lost my mind. And they're like, no, no, let's go pray. So we went and we walked up and prayed, and we came back down to a coffee shop and got something warm to drink, and they all looked at me and they said, this is God. And at that point, you're just like, oh, crud. Because I was kind of hoping they'd tell me I was out of my mind. But instead, they're telling me it's God. So I'm sitting there drinking something. Now, mind you, there's a few interesting things about this place. 
Uh, eight years ago, I'm in Colorado at a pastor's conference, and we're doing this prayer tunnel. And that's where you have a couple of people across from each other, and the first two come through. And basically, everyone prays for everybody, and then, then it just keeps going until you've gone through the line and restarted. And, and each person has been prayed for by each person, and each person has prayed for each person. So it's a little bit of a wait. So as we're standing here, the pastor across from me just looks at me and he says, you're pregnant with something and you're going to give birth to something new in Romania. I said, Amen, I'll take that. And then he looked at me again. And God told me to tell you to look to the stars because that's how big what he has for you is. Amen. And then he's like, and Dennis, God said, quit letting the people around you drag you back in the tent. And then I'm like, oh, amen. Because that's what I was surrounded with in the ministry where I worked. I was surrounded by other pastors who exalt themselves, a school director who thought very highly of himself, and it was always, about, oh, Dennis, this, oh, he's such a dreamer. Sound familiar? Like Joseph. And that's what ended up eventually causing this split. And I realized that's what God's saying. Quit letting those people and their negative speaking and the fact that they think they're something when really none of us should think more highly of ourselves than we ought. And stop letting them drag you back out into the tent and glazing your eyes over from the vision that I have for you. And I was like, okay. So I'm sitting there and I said, well, Lord, you did it now. That thing is huge. I am looking to the stars now. And then this is what's funny. God said, yeah, and what did you see when you walked up the hill? And it hit me. As you're walking up the hill at the front of the hotel, there's the name, and it's got four giant stars under it. And I just laughed. I'm like, you really do have a sense of humor. Because I'm thinking, ooh, the stars and this real, you know, uh, symbol. But those are your stars. I was like, oh, man. So we started praying about what do we do to get a building like this, Okay. Uh, so as we're praying, we're like, okay, well, we need to find out who owns it. And God begins to speak to us from Nehemiah. And he specifically is talking to us about where Nehemiah goes to the king. And the king says, ask what you want, you know, and he makes all this provision. And I'm looking at it. I said, okay, well, uh, there's no king in Romania. So I don't know who this king is. But I said, Lord, whoever this king, you know, this significant person is, just connect us and give us favor with them. So as we start looking up who owns this hotel... The very first article that I found in English, the title said this, Joseph Goshi, that's the owner's name, Joseph Goshi, Romanian king of hotels. And I, I mean, I'm laughing at my computer screen. I'm like, oh, wow, you really have a sense of humor. So we write this guy a business letter because j just a hint for you guys, I know that we think it's cool to sound real spiritual all the time, but, you know, people that aren't saved don't get it. So I got a business form letter, and I, and I wrote him a business letter. And I, you know, I put everything out in logical terms he could understand. Well, we didn't hear anything. So my associate pastor, um, I've raised him up, but I'm, I'm really ashamed of myself because he, he is, he's gotten wilder than me. Uh, he's bolder than me. Uh, he really convicts me. And if he ever comes here, don't tell him that. Uh, but uh, but he, says we, he says we have to, we, we've got to meet this guy. We've got to get in touch with him. So he calls. And he says, okay, did you get our letter? And his representative says, we got your letter. The building is not for sale. So he comes back to me and he says, he said, the building's not for sale. I said, okay, Radu, you go back and call him and tell him everything on this planet is for sale for the right price. Just ask him, tell him to name his price. I mean, God's got to pay for it anyway, right? <laughs> so Radu calls him back and he tells him this and the guy gets back to us and he says, I know lots of scripture here tonight. So, but I, I, I really just feel like God's wanting to get, he, he wants this testimony out there. I don't know if it's as much for your sake as it is for our sake, but he's been convicting me on testify, get the testimony out there. So I'm just trying to be obedient to the spirit. If it's not blessing you, it's something I've got to do in faith. Uh, so he calls back again and he says, this building is not for sale at any price, at any time, for any reason. And I, so then we're kind of like, well, what do you do with that? 
I said, Lord, what do you do when the man's telling you, you're telling me this is ours? And he's saying, nope, under no circumstance. So Radu's looking at me and he says, we have to meet this guy. And I, in all of my faith, looked at him and I said, well, good luck with that. Because you have to understand, this guy is the largest hotel owner in Romania. At the time, his business was worth a half a billion dollars, and he was personally worth a quarter billion dollars. It's like, it would be like you trying to call Bill Marriott to tell him to meet you about a building that he doesn't want to sell, and you don't have any money to buy it anyway. I mean, that's how ridiculous this is. So, but what I did tell him in faith was, I said, if you get a meeting, I'll go. So he's calling the guy three times a week. He says, I've got to meet your owner. I've got to meet your owner. I've got to meet you. I'll call you back. I'll call you. Of course, he never calls back. So after about three weeks of this, Radu and his wife were away for the weekend, and I was up on the terrace of the house that we used to have as a ministry center, and I'm praying, and the Lord said, I want you to go to Joshua chapter 1, and I go, and I think it's, it was either verse 3 or 8, but at this point it says, uh, prepare yourselves for in three days you'll cross over the Jordan. Now I know there's nothing specific about that, but did you ever have a word just kind of hit you? Yeah. It hit me, and I, I mean, I'm standing there, I'm like, whoa, 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 what's happening in three days? What is this Jordan crossing event? And I'm up there, and I mean, I was kind of... I mean, I was kind of skipping, bebopping around going, yeah, Lord, I don't know what this is, but this is awesome, you know. And I was all excited for, for no apparent reason. I got done praying, and the minute I got done praying, Radu called me, he says, the owner's representative just called me. He said, Dennis, he's never called me, but he called today. He said, we have a meeting in three days with Mr. Goshi and Timishwada. And I'm like, oh, I'm, like, I'm starting to think God's in this, you know. So, so we actually drove there the night before, stayed in a hotel, because this is a meeting we don't want to be late for. And it's about six hours away. So we stay in this hotel. The next morning we had breakfast. We went upstairs to pray. Seemed like a good idea before we go to meet with the guy. So we're praying. You know. And then the Lord says, son, you're going to have to trust me this morning. And I'm like, well, of course I'm going to have to trust you because we're meeting this owner and I don't know what's happening. He's like, no, no, no. You've got to trust me this morning. And I'm like, yeah, I, yeah, I know. Because I'm hard-headed sometimes. Even when it's God, I'm still kind of like, yeah, yeah, I know. Not realizing God's telling you because he knows you don't know. <laughs> and you're sitting there telling God, I know. So we went through this a few times, and then it hit me, and I'm like, what am I not getting here? And he said, you're going to have to trust me. And I was like, and I told Radu, we're walking to the, we're walking to the meeting, and I'm, I'm like, God keeps telling me I've got to trust him. He won't quit telling me we've got to trust him. I'm like, I, I don't get it. So we get to the place, and we walk in, and the woman says, can I help you? Obviously in Romanian. And we said, yes, we're here to meet with Mr. Goshi. She says, well, he's not here. We're like, well, we're, we have a meeting with him today at 10 o'clock. She says, well, I'll get, his, I'll get his representative, but he's not here. So this guy comes, takes us to an office, and he kind of hangs his head. He said, I'm so sorry. I forgot about the meeting. We had an emergency call. This guy, is, at the time, he was 79 years old, and he's still hands-on with his hotels. They had an emergency at a hotel on the Black Sea 10 hours away, and he had left an hour before we got there to go deal with this emergency at the hotel. And I'm standing there, and I'm like, what, what was this all for? And then it hit me. This is why you were saying, I've got to trust you. So I looked at that guy and I said, call him and ask him which hotel and tell him we'll be an hour behind him. He says, you're going to drive to the Black Sea? I said, we've got to meet with this guy. So he calls him and it's so funny, the conversation is funny. He's like, and he calls it Mr. President. I, you know, Romania, I don't know, we're into ourselves. Mr. President, yes, the guys are here from Cluj. Right, the guys that are here about the building that's not for sale. Right, those guys, you know. And I'm just like, oh, this is not going too well. And he's like, what do you want to do? And so he hangs up and he says, well... There's a gas station in this village an hour outside of town. Uh, he's pulling over at that gas station, and he'll be waiting for you in the parking lot. Wow. So we get in the car, and we're leaving. And I'm, it's, you know, you gotta, it's not all registering. I'm like, okay. I said, Radu, this is more cool than if he's here. This has to be supernatural. 
This guy has an emergency at a hotel 10 hours across the country. He's 79 years old and he's driving himself, but he's stopping to wait an hour at a gas station in a village to talk to two guys about a building that he says he won't sell. God has got to be in this. So we show up at the gas station. He's standing out back of his car. This guy is about six foot six, six foot seven. Five foot six is a dream for me. Okay. I might be five five on a good day. So I walk up, and of course it's like, "Hello, Mr. Goshi. I'm Dennis Pence. It's nice to meet you." And he just looks down, and, he, and he's and this is all in Romanian. He looks down, and he's like, "So you're the guy that wants to buy what's not for sale." That's his first words. And I said, well, yes, sir, actually, that's me. And I said, did you receive our letter? Yes, I received your letter. I said, so you read what we'd like? Yes, I saw what you'd like to do. And I said, well, so he says, son, it's not for sale. And I'm like, okay. I said, well, I said, no price under no, he said, no price under no circumstance is this building for sale. He's like, what part about that don't you understand? So at first I'm kind of, you know, ready to draw back until I'm like, then why are we standing at a gas station in a village an hour outside of town when you've got an emergency nine hours away? No, no, no. There's something more to this. You know, this is where your faith has to come in. Yeah. If God's in it, you've got to recognize God's in it, and you've got to keep going. So I looked at him and I said, Mr. Goshi, I understand. But God told me to tell you that he wants this building for this vision. And he told me to ask you how much you want for this building because I'm going to go back and pray and he's going to give me the money and I am going to buy your building. And he says, no, you're not. It's not for sale. What part of it's not for sale don't you understand? He's looking at me like a gnat he can't quite get rid of, you know? And, and I'm like, God would give me nothing except the exact same words. Mr. Goshi, I understand. But God told me he wants this building for this vision. He told me to ask you how much you're going to sell it for. And I'm going to go back and pray. He's going to give me the money and I'm going to buy your building. He said, he said son, no. He said, you don't understand. He says, this hotel is like an inheritance to me. It is the most cherished thing I have. Hmm, his idol, interestingly enough. He says, I have 25 hotels in Romania. I will sell every hotel that I own before I'll sell this one. Wow. Mr. Goshi, I understand. But God told me to tell you that he wants this building for this vision. And I'm going to, uh, I'm going to, yeah, he told me to ask you how much you want. I'm going to go back and pray. And then he's going to give me the money and I am going to buy your building. And, he's, and then he goes to his car. And he's shaking his head and he opens the trunk and he pulls out this folder and, he's, and it's got the uh, appraisals of all of his hotels. And it's the appraisals from before the crisis hit. So he opens it up and he says, look, this hotel, here's the land value, here's the construction value, it was valued at 41 million euro. That's over 50 million dollars. And he says, today, with the crisis, this hotel is worth at least 30% less than this appraisal. And even if you offer me this appraisal today, I won't sell you this hotel. So at that point, I'm standing there and I'm saying, Okay, Lord, these words you've been giving me aren't doing the trick. What do I do? So I looked at him and I said, Mr. Goshi, you're going to think I'm crazy, but I'm going to tell you something. And I went all the way back and I told him about the 40-day fast. And I told him about how I saw the building. And I told him about how God spoke to me. And I told him about the word about the stars from the pastor. And then I told him about the King of Hotels article that I read. And I said, those stars that he talked to me about eight years ago are your hotel. And that king that he talked to me about is you. God says you have to sell this building. Well, his whole look changed. You never saw, I felt so bad for this 79-year-old man. He looked so disturbed and troubled. <laughs> And he said, son, I say this with a very troubled heart. A very troubled heart. 
But if I'm going to sell you this building, how much are you going to give me for it? I said, Mr. Goshi, I don't know. I was hoping you'd tell me because I'm going to go back and pray and God's going to give me the money. I'm going to buy your building. So he looked at me and he said, you have to understand, I'm, I'm very disturbed about this, but here's what I'll do. And he pulled out of his, I, I still carry it to this day. The quarter billion dollar man pulls out his business card and writes his personal private numbers on the back. And he says, you go back to Cluj and decide what you're going to do and you call me. I'm like, okay, have a good trip to the Black Sea. We get in the car to leave and I'm like, I do. He went from I'll sell every hotel I own before I'll sell this one to how much are you going to give me for it? I'm like, this has to be God. So now I'm excited because we're going to go back and pray and find out how much we're supposed to offer. I get the leadership team together. And we pray. And, and one of the ladies of the intercessory prayer is also the church secretary and helps lead the women's ministry and the children's ministry looks up and she says, Pastor, I have a word. I say, oh, great. Let's hear it. She says, uh, the Lord said there won't be any money involved. <laughs> now, this, you know that, you know that troubled heart that Mr. Goshi had? Now I have the troubled heart. So I'm a little bit irritated. And now you have to understand, when I tell you this, you're going to know my staff must love me because they respect me no matter what. Because I looked at the group and I said, guys, I appreciate your, your attempts to hear the Lord. But if you don't have faith for what we need, then let's just remain silent and see what the Lord wants us to do. <laughs> yes, I really said that. And at that point, my big mouth youth pastor lifts his hand. Pastor, I have something. Yes. I got the same thing she got. And then two other hands, I'm like, I said, okay, guys, thank you. Good night. I'm going to go pray. And I was so mad at God. It's not the first time he's tricked me. That's how I got to Romania. I, I went on a three-month short-term mission 10 years ago. So... So I went to pray, and really, I, I don't know how to express to you all, because it's not like a rebelliousness, but I was, really, I was really bothered with the Lord. And I was really bothered with the idea that there was this breakthrough, and now you've put me in this place that I wasn't expecting. It doesn't seem fair. It doesn't seem fair that you got me to the point that he'll sell the hotel, and now you're telling me that, that there's no money, and, and I don't have a clue what this means. So I'm up. At that time, I had... Uh, uh, this house had three levels, and when you went through the uh, top to the fourth level through the attic, there was this terrace that looked out over town. That was my prayer closet. And I went up there to pray, but I couldn't hardly pray. So the youth pastor and the associate pastor come up because they know I'm troubled, and they're like, look, let's just pray. So we prayed, and then uh, Radu looked at me like he always does and says, we have to meet with him. And I'm just like, dude, what is wrong with you? Meet with him about what? I mean, do, do, do you have the words? You know, easy for you to say. You ride along. I've got to sit there and do the talking, you know. So the youth pastor says, well, well, we really need to pray. And so we prayed. And after we prayed, he says, we have to meet him. And I'm like, oh, my. And then the youth pastor looks at me and says, the Lord gave me this verse from Joshua chapter 3. It says, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow. You'll see the Lord do great and mighty things. I'm like, I don't want to hear it. Great and mighty things tomorrow? I mean, I don't even know what I'm supposed to do today. So the, the, he says about the associate pastor, he says he's right, we, we have to get a meeting with him. I said, fine, you go call him, and you tell him we want a meeting and we've got nothing to offer, and you see what he says, because I'm such a man of faith. You know, I've opened deaf ears and I've done all this, so of course I've got so much faith. I'm like, yeah, go do it, good luck with that. So he goes and he comes back, with the, he comes back and he's got this, you know, kind of, he's trying not to smile too big so that I won't get too irritated. I'm like, what is it? So well, I just called him. I said, yeah, and what happened? I just said, Mr. Goshi, it's Radu. We'd like to talk to you more about the building. He says, oh, well, tomorrow I'm going to be at a hotel about an hour away from Cluj. Why don't you meet me there and I'll buy you lunch? I'm just like, oh. Mm. 
So we get the prayer, we get the, the leadership team together again. I'm like, guys, let's pray. Well, it's interesting because the Lord gave us prophetic words about this man's life going back many years, how God's been calling him and drawing him, and he's always rejected the Lord, the Lord, and he's turned to these other things. And he says, I want you to witness uh, the testimony of Jesus Christ to him, and I want you to tell him about no money being involved. And I'm like, well, I can handle everything but that. So we go. We get there and we start talking. We're sharing these prophetic words with him. And it was really, he was so open. It was, it was just incredible. I'm like, wow, this is really interesting, you know. And he, he wanted to hear more and then began to share with him about Jesus Christ and about faith. And he's saying, well, how do you know? Because some people say this and some people say, and then we talked about faith. And, you know, legacies don't live on through your relatives. There is a place you're going to go. And we're going through all of that. And I think he got kind of convicted because he came to a point where he just stuck his big arms across the table and he looked at me and he said, now, son, now ask me what you came to ask me. And I'm just like, Ugh. I said, all right, Mr. Goshi, the Lord said he gave you this building for a, t for a season to administrate. And now he's asking you to give it back to him for this vision. So I thought, surely he's got some red button. Security's going to come. Dogs are going to be, you know, like the Simpsons release the hounds or something. And, um, but, but he actually, he got this frightened look on his face. And he's like, how did he say it? He said, but if I give you this hotel, don't you know? And he starts, oh, but, you know, my value and the value of my uh, chain and the inheritance for my grandson and all this stuff. And I said, well, Mr. Goshi, this is not easy for me. I said, I went back and prayed about an offer to buy this building from you. You know, this wasn't some kind of trick. God told us, this is what we're to tell you. And then he's like, but, but this, and this is a moneymaker, and this is this, and, and what am I supposed to And I'm like, I don't have all these answers. All I can tell you is, this is what the Lord said. You're to give us this building for this vision. And so we have all of this back and forth talk. And, uh, and as we're going back and forth and we're trying to explain faith, and we told him this. We said, the Lord gave us this word and we had it written down for him. If you will give this, God will bless the rest. If you do not, it will not go well for you. Since that day in three years, his hotel chain has gone from a half a billion to $200 million in value. He's had one hotel that was repossessed by creditors on the Black Sea. His personal wealth has gone from a quarter billion to about $70 million. And even in the Romanian newspapers, they said, as bad as it is, the one who's doing the worst by 30% is him. So God is God's bringing Nebuchadnezzar down. He is fulfilling his word here. But what was interesting is after we went through this back and forth, I finally looked at him and said, okay, as far as the, he, t he told me, he said, if I'm going to do this, I need a sign. I need a sign from God. I need a sign that everything's going to be okay. So, well, we can pray about that. But before we uh, go, do, go any further here, I want to get back to this thing about giving your heart to Jesus Christ. I want to go back to this thing about your... Because obviously if he gets saved, he's going to give the building because he's going to hear the Lord. Yeah. And it's much easier than me trying to convince him. Yeah. So I asked him about giving his heart and he said no. He said no, because if I give him my heart, I have to give him this building. And I said, whoa, no, no, hold on. I said, we didn't come to manipulate you. I'm not saying that. I said, so, now, he really did have to because just like the rich young ruler, you know, I was probably too soft on him because he's 79 years old. You know, where it's like, oh, no, the Lord only cares about your salvation. Well, read the rich young ruler. His salvation was contingent upon something about his heart. And God was dealing with that with him. But I said, we're not here to manipulate you. I said, what you do with your building is between you and God. I'm offering you the free gift of salvation through Jesus. He said, no, son, you don't understand. If I, give, if I give him my heart, I have to give you this building. He already knew before we got there. God had already told him he was supposed to do this, and he was resisting it. So it was just such an incredible experience. So we left, and a few months later, all the Lord led us to do was write down all of the prophecies that we had for him, the words that God had spoken, and we sent him a letter, 
and he has it to this day to torment him and to convict him into doing what he's supposed to do. And in that, in that time, well, what was interesting, this place needs a lot of work. And so one of the words that we got was God's going to send people to do the remodeling for us. And since that's happened, I don't, his business has sunk, but this health club moved in and they took half of the lobby and they totally remodeled it into this luxury spa and built a new swimming pool inside. And they have this incredible fitness center. And now they've begun redoing the lobby and they're about to go into the rest. And I'm just, I'm watching as God performs everything he said. What I was saying would be the letdown is, well, we still don't have it. So it's like, you know, there's all this buildup. Yeah, and? Yeah, well, we're waiting. <laughs> But every time I try to lay it down, and I have tried several times, because can, can you imagine the burden of carrying that? I moved into that hotel for six weeks believing God that we had the date it was going to come, and it didn't. And that just about did me in. And I, I moved out of this nice house, this ministry center we had, moved into the hotel, and then it didn't happen. And then I just about had a breakdown. And we had to move to these two apartments out on the edge of town, which is actually where we live right now. Very inconvenient, but uh, I was just kind of sulking there. But one of my elders came in and he looked at me and he said, You listen, God did not change what he said. It doesn't matter what just happened. God did not change what he said. Amen. And it took me some months to, to pick it back up. But what was funny is my apartment, all the way across the city, on a hill, on the sixth floor, windows only out one side of the building, with no curtains. And guess what they look at? Right across, I would lay in bed and I'd turn my head up. Oh, I don't want to look at that cursed thing, you know. But God would not let it get from in front of me. And then he would bring these words. Like I'm like, nope, we're going to seek first the kingdom and your righteousness and everything else can be added. I'm not going to mess with this thing anymore. The next day a guy walks in and says, I was praying for you yesterday and God said, don't lay this hotel down. Now's the time to be praying because God's moving in the sea. It's like, what are you doing to me, you know. And then at the camp it was kind of the same thing. We had kind of backed off. And then this pastor comes from Dallas. And he has this war flag and he starts cracking it in my face. And first of all, he rebukes me for thoughts I've had about uh, giving up. Not because I wanted to give up, but you know, there's just that those times you feel like, Lord, can I lead a breakthrough here? If it hasn't happened yet, I mean, I've been such a divisive figure, you know, so much accusation. If I haven't led a breakthrough yet, can I do it? Because if I can't send somebody who can do it, I'll go to Texas and be happy. You love me. I'm okay with that. I don't need to be somebody. I don't need to be in the midst of everything. I just, I want to see you come through, and if I can't do it, send someone who can. So we have the camp, and he calls the leaders up there, and he says, okay, when I raise the flag over, you want you to lift your hands and receive. And he gets to me and says, all right, close your eyes and lift your hands. And all of a sudden, I don't know if you know what a war flag is like, but it's this flag that when you whip it, it's like, crack, crack, like a whip, you know? So he's right in front of me, and all of a sudden I feel this crack, crack, like this far from my nose, you know? And you're like, oh, okay. I'm trying to be bold and step into this, Lord, but I don't want a bloody nose. I don't want to die tonight. I don't want my head cracked open. And he says, you, you, I called you here. Don't you ever, ever question it again. Crack, crack, crack. Don't you ever, ever question it. Crack, crack. And, I'm, and you're standing there. And you're like, this isn't a sweet son. Be encouraged. <laughs> I want you to stay. It's like, it's like the Lord's finally saying, you stop it and don't you ever do it again. This matter is settled. I'm like, yes, sir. And then the next word that he gave, he said, and do not be afraid to stand in authority for the vision that God has given you. Amen. And that's when he put this thing back into me as I was coming to America and I brought these messages. It was weird because God said, no, I want you to testify about this thing. And I'm like, well, what good is it going to do them? But he's like, you got to go testify. And even tonight I'm sitting there struggling and I want to give you this message. And God said, no, you got to testify about this thing. Amen. You've got to tell people what's going on. But the one thing that I can say is I'm believing the God of the, of, of the impossible for the impossible. And truthfully, 
I would rather believe God and die never seeing it than to never believe God for what he put before me. So I've been criticized. I've been mocked. I mean, people, they love to make fun of it. You know, I had this businessman tell me I was wrong. And I looked at him and I I came back and said, well, actually, you're wrong. We are going to get it because God said. Maybe it hasn't happened yet, but I am going to get that. You know, I'm not even sitting there going, oh, you probably look like such a, you know, in the eyes of people. But what does it matter? Because when God, here's my feeling. God gave me a word. He said, this building is going to be like a Mount Carmel sign from heaven. There are so many people in Romania, they will not give themselves to the free movement. And of course, with, with what's happened with my reputation is a lot of people stay away just based on what they hear because in Romania, negative words are more powerful than relationships. It's just, it's a remnant of the communist culture, uh, of all of the suspicions. So it's going to take a miracle of God to really see a breakthrough. And there's also a lot of people who won't enter into the free church movement because so many missionaries have come and gone. You know, they come and they, it's a very, if you come, like, was it, one of you were telling me, oh, I loved Romania. I'm like, yeah, it looks really nice for a couple of weeks. The people seem real hospitable and they feed you and they smile. But if you live there, it is so different. There are strongholds. You know, thank God the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh. But they are mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds. And that's another thing the Lord's convicting me about. We've been trying to do all the right things in the wrong way. And it's time to go after these spiritual strongholds and tear those strong men down. I mean, that's what the church is here for. To make known to the principalities and powers the manifold uh, manifold wisdom of God. You know, we don't think about that, but that's the purpose of the church. We're not just here to, you know, we're here to have fellowship. We're here to grow. We're here to, to bring the lost to Jesus Christ. We're here to make Him known. But we're actually here to show them what it's all about. That is an incredible calling. And if that ever sinks into you, you're like, really, us? And we're kind of here to show these principalities and powers. You're not the ones that got it. We're the ones that got it with Jesus Christ. Believe in God for the, yeah, and, and that I'd rather die, you know, not seeing it. But, but I do believe we're going to see it. And in spite of all the, uh, you know, God told me, if you'll, if you'll quit worrying about what people do with your, if you'll give me your reputation, you won't care what people do with it anymore. Amen. It's one of the hardest things to do. Uh, because I tell you what, I'm just, I, I've got my closing now. I'm just going to close because it's getting late. And this story could really go on because there's, you know, there's so many facets to it that memory can just come up. But th- this is what I want to close with. I needed to say that because that's what the Lord wanted me to say. I guess for the sake of our own faith and our own testimony, they overcame by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. And they loved not their life even unto death. And I think this is just a part of standing in faith with authority for the vision that God's given us. You know, I mean, whether you take it up and pray about it or whatever, you know, it's God's promised us. And as long as, as, long as we stand for it in Romania, the ones He's promised it to, it's going to come. You know, if you pray for us, great. I'm not saying don't pray. But I'm not sharing that with you trying to, you know, I don't believe if we get a million people praying, he's going to do it. He already said he's going to do it. As long as we stand and we don't get moved out of position for the blessing to pass us by, then it's going to come. But the one thing God keeps convicting me about and pushing us for is you can't be timid about the vision. You just can't. You know, as ridiculous as it is, as absurd as it seems, you have to be willing to stand for what God said in spite of the circumstances, in spite of the opposition. You know, in America, you can build a church, you can grow, income can come in, you can finance and you can build a building. We can't do that in Romania. I have one choice, God. To do what we want to do, only God. It's not going to come through the ties of the church. I promise you that. I'm not getting rich and nobody's getting rich off that. It's not going to buy a building. It's not going to lease. It won't even lease a building. We're leasing a hotel room. 
God is going to have to come through and do this, and we're going to have to stand without timidity and without fear to see that come forth. You know, you've got to stand in faith. Amen. So whatever it is, I mean, I'll just encourage you, whatever it is you're facing, whether it be your church or you and your personal life, you can't get pressed back. You can't get moved out of position. You're going to be assaulted. You're going to be attacked. That, that's a given. God promised that. You don't have to go look for spiritual warfare. It's going to find you. But he does say, don't draw back. Don't draw, if you draw back, his soul takes no pleasure in you. I know that's hard to accept because we're all into the lovey-dovey marshmallow God in heaven who just has every good thing for us, and he does. But it's always if then. If you this, then I will this. If you this, then I will this. So he says, don't draw back. Don't draw back or my soul takes no pleasure. But thank God we're not those who draw back to destruction. But we stand in faith believing to see God come through in his glory. So this is kind of the general prayer. I mean, I'll pray for anybody. I know, uh, I know there's a couple of people here that need healing tonight, and um, I'm going to pray for that. But I want to have a general prayer for you uh, about this. This is the closing that I want to get to. 1 Timothy talks about God has not given us a spirit of fear, but power. It is 1 Timothy, not 2, right? 1 Timothy 4, I think. I think it's 4, 7. But God has not given us a spirit of fear but of power, love, and a sound mind, okay? Now, if you go to the, to the Greek, not, not the Hebrew, but the Greek, okay? Uh, the word there for fear is the word delia. Now, the word for fear, fear in the Bible is some, it's, like, it's phobia or phobia, I don't know, but it's the word that we get phobia from. That's what means fear, you know, arachnophobia, fear of spiders, this type of thing. But this word delia Actually, in the Greek, the, the, the preferred translation would have been timidity. For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and of a sound mind. See, it's, it's the same word that Jesus used when he rebuked the disciples in the boat in the storm. He says, why are you fearful? And he rebukes them, oh, ye of little faith. The word is actually delia. He's saying, why are you being timid? Why are you being timid about this? See, the fact is, these guys were fishermen. They, their fathers were fishermen. Their grandfathers were fishermen. This was the family business. This was not a thing where some you know, landlubbers got on a boat, a little storm came up, they freaked out and started bugging Jesus. These guys went to Jesus because they knew the sea, they knew the storm, they knew the situation was real, they knew that they could be facing imminent death. They weren't, the fear was not irrational. And Jesus wasn't rebuking them for being fearful. He was rebuking them for being timid. And the point that I want to make is you, you can be, you can feel fear, but not be timid. Okay. You can feel fear, but be unintimidated. And that's what the Lord's looking for. He's, you know, it's not, now don't get me wrong. You could theologically tear this apart, but I'm trying to make a principle here based on what Jesus said and the word that Timothy used about a spirit of timidity. When I was five years old, I woke up one morning. Now, I was always full of rejection and fear from the time I can remember. It was just something that was in me. It was passed down, it was generational, and it was strong. But one morning when I was five years old, I woke up early in the morning, uh, maybe seven o'clock, and as I was laying in bed, I looked at the door, and there was this figure in the doorway of my bedroom, but it was transparent, and I could see through it. And it, it changed its shape into something else. And then it changed into this, this huge thing and it started walking towards me. Now, of course, I freaked out. My parents thought I was hallucinating, but from that time, there was a morning that I was sitting on the couch watching cartoons and I looked down and from under the sofa, there were about 30 or 40 arms reaching up trying to grab me. 
Shortly after that, I began to hear voices at night. They would whisper my name from behind my back as I was trying to go to sleep. I would wake up in the night and, and there was a woman between my bed and my brothers tucking him in and turning to me and just sh and then walking out and disappearing down the hallway. There was a woman that appeared several times. I don't know why it was always women. Women just don't like me, I guess. But uh, there was another woman that appeared several times, literally floating in the air, had no eye sockets, was, was white as a sheep with long greasy hair. And I'm telling you, I knew this was not a good thing. And this is the kind of stuff that I was fearful and tormented with. And when I got saved, see, my dad uh, is a very successful guy. He had his own business. But even as a kid, I said, I can never do what he does because he travels and has to stay in a hotel room overnight alone. And I can never do that because I'll see something, I'll hear something. I can never do it. I can never live alone. I'm going to have a roommate until I get married. And then I'll have my wife and then we'll have our kids, you know. And hopefully I'll die first so that I don't, you know, at 85 have to be alone and fearful. I mean, it was really, it was that strong. That's how strong the spirit was. So I get saved. You know what God did? He gave me a new job. You know what the job did? They gave me a free one-bedroom apartment where I got to live alone. And I developed OCD, checking doors and windows 20, 30 times a night, crawling in bed, closing my eyes, praying. Till I felt, but I had to face the fear. And then when I moved to Romania, God had dealt with, with most of this fear. But I moved to Romania, and they were building this new building for the school. And on the third floor, at the very back, two rooms were finished. The rest of the building was still a concrete construction site. There wasn't even, you know, railing going up the stairs yet. There were wires hanging, but no lights. So every night after I teach at the school and go get something to eat about 11 or 11.30, I come home alone, go behind the house the school is meeting in, into this dark, empty building, and I've got to walk up three flights of dark stairs and down a long, dark highway, uh, hallway to my room, and then I'm in my two rooms where I can turn on lights and, and see. And fear tried to attack me almost every night the first probably two or three weeks that I was there. And I felt it. And I would go in that building and I would open the door and immediately there it was just the chill of fear like, like eyes are staring at me and something's following me. But step by step it was just that I'm not going to be intimidated. And one step at a time slowly I refused to run, I refused to turn around and I wasn't going to give the devil anything. That spirit was not going to take my life over again. And I would get up to that hallway, and then I would turn down that dark, dark hallway, and I would calmly, calmly, you know, you know, calmly walk, and then open the door and shut it and close it. But you know, it took about three weeks, but that thing broke. But, but the point I'm trying to make is you can feel fear, but still be unintimidated. And I believe, I really believe strongly that there's people here tonight that God has put vision in your heart, He's given you words about your future and your destiny, but there's elements of fear that are operating that the enemy uses to cause you to draw back. And you think because you feel fear, you can't go forward. But I'm here to tell you tonight, you can feel fear and you can still be unintimidated and you can go forward. That's where the victory comes, facing the fear and walking through it unintimidated. Don't let the feelings dictate to you what you do or don't step into. Because God has something significant for some of you that you're missing right now. And it's simply because the enemy has convinced you that if you feel fear, then you have to draw back in timidity. Do not let him intimidate you anymore. I want to break that off of you tonight.